Welcome to Champions for NorCal Kids, a podcast designed to highlight the great champions and work for the youngest members of our community in the Northern California. Join First Five Director Wendy Dickens and First Five Tehama Director Heidi Mendenhall as they discuss and highlight topics, resources, and community champions that are focused on children ages zero to five and their families. Topics will cover advocacy, direct services, resources, and support in the rural northern area of California, but often will be applicable to life anywhere. Their goal is to inspire, empower, and cultivate a sense of community filled with hope and connection. Good morning. I am great. I am super happy to be in this conversation and as always happy to be with you and talk about yet again another one of our favorite topics, play. I know. I love this topic. Uh Probably because, you know, we're geeks around child development and all the things that are, you know, that involve child development, which, you know, we talk about talk, read, sing, but really you did that through play, right? So play is like one of my favorite things to just rattle and rattle on about. So hopefully though, we'll get some real true pointers and some information to folks about why play is so important and why it really does nourish and develop, you know, the child in the ages of zero to five, but really, it really is important for everybody, right? Like it doesn't matter what your age is. Play is important. And I know we've mentioned that before, but you know, it is so vital to keeping your self-care in check, right? So what better way to do that is to play with your child? Yes. Oh, that's so true. And so I, to kind of back it up a little bit. When we talk about play, I think there's so many things we can imagine play to be, right? Um, And one of my favorite definitions of play is kind of a, I think it's a morph definition that Brene Brown uses of um, that play is when you are involved in something and you have no idea how long it's been, right? So when you are in true play, you are just in the moment or in the flow, if you will, and you are engaged and you could care less when it started or it's never going to end and you're happy to be there. And um, for many of us, as we become adults, when we really truly think about, gosh, when was the last time I was involved in an activity that I wasn't looking forward to it ending? It could be, it could be a while. So it's important to think about that level of enjoyment and just pure um, engagement with the activity at hand as as play and it'll help us see how powerful it is and for children it can look so many ways right mm-hmm. for sure I mean you know it's definitely going to give them opportunities to get, enhance what is happening in their world and they're already inquisitive enough it, just overall but then when they're playing that curiosity just gets enhanced so much greater and it can really benefit all kinds of developmental stages that they're in not just cognitive but emotional so we'll talk a little bit about that we'll talk about the fact that you know it's helpful to their physical development Um, and so it's really an overall way of helping a child develop in a holistic approach play can hit all the different domains that a child needs to have development in right Yes. And it's so, it's so natural to children if we provide the space. So whether you're a family, whether you're parents, whether you're neighbors, um, whether you are a childcare provider, like providing just this space. And if you just watch them, they engage in play because it really is their way of communicating throughout the world, right? It's their natural language. It's how they 
are expressing themselves. So, um, for example, uh, this morning when I left my house to come here, my children were engaged in creating something with tape and leaves. I got no idea what, but they were giggling and they just happened to find the tape like that was still out from when we were wrapping presents multiple months ago and <laughs> collected some leaves and they started playing. And so the two-year-old's version of play was like kind of tossing the leaves in the air and watching them come down. The six-year-old's version of play was to actually use the tape and the leaves to create something. And they were, they could have cared less that I left. They could have cared less that it was freezing cold outside and they didn't have a jacket on. They were so enthralled in that moment that it was pure joy for them and pure engagement. And that, you know, we could be totally nerd out and tear apart all the cognitive and language and math and science related things that are in that. But that important piece is that they have the time and space to, to do that, to discover it and to play, right? And, and how can we as both create that space for them and ourselves? <laughs> That and I just get so excited because there was just recently an article that came out through Science Magazine and it talked very much about what you just said, which was this unstructured play, right? Unstructured play is that whole, you know, we can provide time and in, you know, a lot of our childcare facilities, we, it's pretty structured in some regard, right? Like they get to choose sometimes, but they're still set up centers, right? They, they And they have a time frame that they're doing it in. And sometimes it's adult kind of being there to guide and allow them to explore for sure and not take over the process, but it's not unstructured. And when we talk, when I'm talking about unstructured, I'm talking about just letting them sit with a puzzle for however long they've chosen that puzzle. You didn't say let's do puzzles. They chose the puzzle. Your children chose the leaves. They chose something in nature, which is helpful in getting them acquainted with nature and how nature can be used for our own enjoyment in a variety of ways. They were making their own play from nature. So one was doing much more physical activity through it. The other was doing more creative artistic activity through it. And like you said, we could totally be talking and nerd out about what that meant for each domain and how that was developing specific areas for that child. But really the importance is that they were using that unstructured time and they were learning tons. They were learning so much about, you know, a variety of things and it's problem solving because your six-year-old had to figure out how she was going to put together all of that and whether the tape was actually going to work with that particular medium and, you know, what it would look like when it was done and how are you going to keep it together and all of those pieces and parts that we as adults take for granted because we already know some of those things. Um, it's just helping prepare her for the future development. And then your younger daughter was thinking, oh, look how they're falling and how many do I have to scoop up and push into the air and how much force do I need to use? She wasn't thinking that in her brain necessarily logically, but her body was, right? And having the leaves fall down and what did that mean and how did that feel? And so there were sensory things happening for her. And so I just, it's just exciting when you think about it because I don't know that everyone understands how important play really is and that, and that that is a child's job. It's their job to play because they are learning so much and we take for granted when we used to tell children to go outside and play or when we, you know, and hopefully parents still do that. But I think a lot of times we're, we're not doing that as often as we should because there's so much that's happening when you play and play can be anything like you mentioned earlier. It doesn't have to just be 
outdoors, obviously, and play really is their opportunity to learn about things. So puzzles and, um, you know, blocks and, you know, pretend play equipment where they get to dress up. And even if it's in your own clothing, I remember my daughter, both of my daughters loved my high heels. So what would they do? They'd go in, they'd pick a skirt from my closet. They'd use it as a dress. And then they would put my high heels on and clomp around. Oh my the gosh, house. I love <laughs> but they were learning, right? Like, what would it look like if I were mom or, or if I, you know, how do I walk in these things? And how do I keep this skirt up? to make it look like a dress. And, you know, then what is it it's, I'm supposed to socially do while I'm in a dress? And you know what I mean? So all these things that they would do were actually around not only just, you know, social expectation cues, but around how do I, you know, problem solving cues and around whether or not this is their style. And, you know, all of the things that you take for granted as adults sometimes that we already kind of, but we learned that somewhere. Right. Right. We, we played with it. Right. And so that's interesting that you say that about your daughters, because that kind of leads into that, the storiness of play. Right. So the, the experience I described with um, this morning was much more about cause and effect and maybe just um, joy and active engagement. Right. But there's a story and a social interaction level of play that really helps us process the world around us. So whatever it was that the story that your girls were saying had to do with them and their identity. And probably because they saw you in that skirt and heels, like hope and pushing and futuristic thinking about one, you know, that growth mindset of, Oh, one day I'll be an adult. And that modeling of the people that they look up to and respect and, and even in that goal setting of going to college and becoming an adult that has a job that, they enjoy and they love and that is meaningful and impacts the world, right? All of those things start by thinking about, oh, I'm here and I could be something else, right? I could grow, I could extend. And that story is incredibly powerful that we let them roll through it. Now, often I remember saying I was going to be an astronaut and dressing up in some clothes at my house. And I think back and I'm like, well, my parents probably knew I wasn't going to be an astronaut. Right. But, and maybe, maybe they didn't, maybe they believed I could be an astronaut, which is wonderful. Um, but letting ourselves think that letting, letting us go through that story in our brain and tell that story is really, really powerful. And especially when we get to be the controller of the story. Right. And that control piece is so critical for young children to have in their play, right? Mm -hmm, for sure. And, and I think that's um, one of the things as adults, we also may not recognize for our children or that we may forget about as adults, right? Is that story behind it and, and how that really is helpful in creating an environment that produces more curious people. And we know that if you are more curious you're going to have better success in life in general, right? We know that the most curious people have actually gone on to be huge inventors for us. You know, we would not have computers. We would not have Zoom. We would not have things that we have today if it weren't for the curiosity and then the intellect, obviously, but definitely first and foremost, the curiosity to even think beyond a box. 
because that's what play helps provide. Play helps and that imagination play and that continued encouragement, even if you're a parent who knows, you know, it's probably a long shot that they'll be an astronaut, but hey, you know what? We're going to continue to let them think that because as they grow and develop, they're going to change their ideas of what they want to be and do. Um, so there's no reason to crush that when they're only three or four, right? Or even seven. You know, we, you know, as they get older, they'll learn some realism and they'll also learn if that's really an area they want to go into. For example, my daughter really thought that she wanted to do pediatric nursing. Um, I know that I really thought I wanted to do become an attorney, right? As I got older, I realized that those were not where I wanted to spend the most of my time, not because I probably wouldn't have been good at it, but because I enjoyed other things more. And for my daughter, it was, I, she didn't really enjoy some of the science classes that she needed to take. And that is a huge piece of being a pediatric nurse is those science pieces, right? She did fine in the classes, but they didn't bring her joy. And they definitely didn't bring her with what she thought it was going to do, which was, you know, get her to that next level of enthusiasm. And, you know, one of the things that I've talked you know, about whether you believe in it or not as a parent is what you do as a profession, not only should be something that helps you attain income, but also something you love and you're passionate about because that's where you're going to spend most of your time as an adult in that field or building that. And, you know, obviously you can try out different things and look through different things, but, you know, one of the first ways we start to look at and explore what we want to do as a adults in the future to become productive members of our community is through play. Like, are we good at it? And let's try on that astronaut costume and see what we would look like in it, right? Yeah. I, you know, so gosh, something just really struck me when you were sharing that about your daughter and um, that it's so not, not to do with ability, right? Which personally is why I am not in the sciences because I couldn't pass OCHEM. But anyhow, <laughs> um, and because that the universe led me to where I'm supposed to be, right? Uh, so your daughter had the ability to pass the science classes, but it didn't bring her joy. That speaks to me because we know through um, our kind of more recent work in ACEs and, and childhood trauma, that if we aren't supported in play as a child, if we don't have opportunities to play as a child, we don't learn how to feel joy. And we sometimes guard ourselves from it, right? And so these are your daughter clearly played and knew what it was to feel joy and then as an adult can determine does this bring joy to me or not and then she can give more more to the world right and so I just think about that level of importance in providing the space to enable your children to play so that they not only learn all of these concepts about academics that are integral to play but they learn to feel joy. They learn what social interaction can be. And then they, they practice that skill, right? Um, I have a really dear friend that recently, as she's raising her children, realized like, I didn't get this opportunity as a kid. I didn't get to play and wow. I'm learning to play with my children. And she's actively discussing that and, and, and learning to play with her, her children as an adult. And because she's open and reflective and can have that conversation, her children are going to get this opportunity and they may, you know, be able to feel joy at a different level later on in life too. 
That is powerful. And to realize that that importance of play, even as an adult, you know, I mentioned it earlier and I know we've talked about it in other podcasts as part of self-care, but it really is also continued exploration of your environment and how to bring joy into your life, right? We do a lot of hard work as beings on this earth and we have a lot of responsibility in my opinion, in a variety of ways. And that also means though, that we need to look at how do we bring joy into our lives so we continue to fill our buckets so we can continue to give and continue to be um, productive to our, to our community, to our environment, to you know, the holistic approach to what life looks like. And so you know, I am truly a believer that living doesn't mean you live in misery for all of eternity. But if you never learned how to play, you have to teach yourself sometimes how to play or have friends and mentors that help you explore that and learn through that. Um, you know, and I think that is the role of a care provider of, you know, a parent to help a child already. And so that they begin to not only explore and learn through that mechanism of play, but then as they're growing older, figure out what kind of play brings them joy what is appropriate, what's not appropriate, all those cause and effects kinds of things and, and you know, what relationships look like as far as your relationship with exercise, for example. I think one of the things that comes to mind is that people often are like, I don't wanna go exercise. Well, if you found a way that was enjoyable to you, it was more like play, right? So some people join a softball league, some people don't like that competitiveness. So they, you know, choose to do a class at the gym. Um, some people want to do, you know, yoga, whatever that physical activity is that really is involved in play as you if you continue to harness that for your, you know, child or help them harness it rather, if you continue to help your child harness what they do for physical activities that bring them enjoyment, that can then equate into something they do as an adult that continues to enhance their health, right? Because part of the problem yeah. is that we don't do the same physical activities we used to long, long ago. So we have to find ways that brings us joy to do that physical activity. Um, and then we're more likely to do that. Yes. Oh, I love that. I love that. And I think being the model for that, but also following their lead, like, oh, I noticed you're having so much fun climbing trees. We haven't exercised our body today. Let's go climb trees. Right. And, and following their lead is really critical. I, I, we could talk for hours and days and I have at conferences about the importance of play, right? right? <laughs> but I think we've, we've at least hit four or five big whys, right? Why for learning? Why for emotional processing? Why? Because bringing joy is critical to lifelong um, happiness and, and success. So all in modeling and, and becoming who you are in play. Now let's maybe the hows. Like if we're, if you're a family or a parent or a provider or an office manager and you're trying to think about how how do you bring play how do you bring the space that play can be had what would be some strategies that and tips you might give so I'm glad you you asked that because you know both of us probably have some wonderful ideas and as well as have taught some of these things in other arenas and I used to teach some parenting education classes and one of the topics that I just spent a whole class on was around play and not just play as we just talked about and all the scientific evidence around the benefits of play for a variety of reasons throughout your ages but 
also, how do you do that? Right? Like, so, you know, as a parent, what do you do to help create some of the opportunities for play to exist? And, you know, and one of the things that I would also talk about would be structured and unstructured play and how we help make sure that that's harnessed. And, you know, I would give ideas for some of the, you know, activities you could do. And some of them are very inexpensive, you know, not necessary to spend a lot of money on, um, as far as, you know, like your daughters today, that was a perfect opportunity for play and it was an unstructured opportunity, but you could even mention it as a parent and make it a little bit more structured, right? So you could be out there exploring <laughs> that environment with them. Didn't cost you a dang thing, right? So, you know, we also talked a little bit about it when we did our talk, read, seeing, but it's about those follow-up questions. It's about exploring deeper into what they're doing. Like, oh, did you see the way that leaf fell as opposed to that leaf? We'll throw them up again and look at how they fall. Does one fall faster? Which one's faster? Which one's slower? You know, what does it look like while it's falling? Let's, let's move like the leaf. What does that leaf look like when it's moving? Let's use our bodies to say that. Those are all play but there are big opportunities for teaching and big opportunities to help, you know, them develop some things cognitively, physically, and even emotionally, right? And so I think, you know, you have so many ways as parents and care providers um, and teachers to figure out how to help a child through that play, but also allowing them to be the pusher of that, right? So letting them ask questions and then posing it back to them so that you're not the answer giver, they're the answer finder. They're not the answer giver, they're the answer finder. I love that. Yeah, I think it's important that we remember, we sometimes, because we're older, think that we're the experts in everything. Um, and that's great and to some degree, but that it creates some reliance on you to always be the person who gives them the answer. And, and one of the things that early on I started doing with my children, they would ask me the definition or how to spell a word. And this is just a very simple, like, you know, thing, but I would tell them they had to go find it and they would be like, but why mom you have, and I do have a very good vocabulary. That was something that I really harnessed. It was something for, you know, throughout my time, I, you know, kind of had a group that I hung out with. We would find a word. This is so nerdy, but we would find a word and we were studying for our SATs, right? So we would find a word in the, the library's dictionary. And then we had to use that word that entire week throughout the week in a different sentence that made sense to the conversation. You couldn't just throw it in, you know, so, and you had to spell it eventually for your peers, but it was one way for us to like kind of uh, bolster our SAT scores. I know very nerdy, but it, it was, was, no, it was you to create structured play around studying for SAT scores, right? You made it a game and you made it a challenge. I mean, that is how, again, we could just oh, talk for hours about how play is the best way to learn, right? The, the oxytocin we release in our brain, the active engagement, the executive function and the prefrontal cortex activity that's happening versus sitting and just listening to the information. That's why you have a great vocabulary because you made it a game. <laughs> right, no, that's another point. What you just said was so important. And I thank you for bringing it up because we don't typically learn, most of us as humans, don't learn best by just hearing auditory types of lectures, right? But that's how we teach. 
That's how we teach at the collegiate level. That's how we teach in high school and to some degree in grammar school, right? A lot of it's sitting and listening to the teacher tell you what is supposed to happen, how you're supposed to do it, and then, you know, sometimes sending you on your way to practice it. But very rarely do we have in that setting an opportunity for hands-on play type of a way of learning, which is much more like we would be learning in a better or a better way of learning rather. Like it's, you know, using more components of your brain to actually integrate that into your remembering of the lecture, right? And so- And by better, you mean more effective, more efficient, right? Not a judgment, but just if oh, our yeah. goal is to retain as much information, then we want it to be the most effective, most efficient, most meaningful way to do so, which is what you just described. <laughs> exactly, right. Yeah, no judgment. I think we, you know, teachers do an amazing job of trying to get the information that we know is going to be important for, you know, students to have as a foundation for the future. But we definitely um, haven't given everybody the same tools in how to make it so that it's more of, you know, a combination of learning types happening at the same time, as opposed to just lecture style, because classrooms really are aren't set up for that. And it's really hard to get your classroom set up like that. And so I think, you know, when you create a game around something, you know, like my peers and I, which was very unstructured, like there wasn't a teacher who told us to do that, right? It was unstructured initially. We structured it into a play. So it was us yes. that driving that learning. So that's the other thing too, like children need the opportunity to drive their learning. And they do that in a variety of ways. And sometimes parents without realizing it kind of harness it. Um, and I get that we get tired, we get stressed, we don't want to talk about things we we're busy watching our TV show and, and they're kind of like interrupting and this is our time to kind of decompress. But when we do that, we sometimes squelch their desire and ability to learn through these unstructured or even their own structure of play. And I think that's the other tip I always gave like give a moment, take a second, recognize what they're saying. If you don't have time right then it's okay to be honest to say that to them and say, you know what, honey, I can't do this right now. Mommy's got to do blah, blah, blah. Or daddy's got to do blah, blah. Our auntie's got to do, you know, or, you know, um, you know, teacher's got to do, but then you say, I'll come back to you around this, but make sure you do then, right? Like make sure you do come back around that. The other thing is when you are in play, be with them in that play. Don't be distracted by your phone or other devices. Really get on their level. So that means sometimes sitting on the floor with them means sometimes being engaged on the floor, which, you know, my old bones are starting to, you know, feel it when I do that. But I mean, it's <laughs> but being a part of that, really being a part of it and really showing them. One of the things I have such a huge concern about, I don't know if, um, you've seen this or not, and I'm sure you have, but is, is the younger parents and they're sitting on the floor with their kids. So they think they're doing the right thing, but the whole time they're on the floor with their child, they have that phone or iPod or iPad in their hands, which is not being as responsive to the child or interactive with the child as that child could utilize to help build and develop that you know, and enhance their, you know, brain and their play through you being a little bit more involved in what's happening right there on the floor. And, and that, again, there's no judgment call. It's just something that is societally we've grown through technology. We sometimes lose sight of what it really means to play, right? Because yeah. we so much yeah. play on our phones and our devices, as opposed to in the moment with other people. 
Well, and that, that kind of leads to one of the two tips I would share is to um, give yourself permission, because I think a lot of times that, you know, what we could be on the phone with social media and because we feel like we have to stay up on the current news right now, right now, what am I missing? Or we could be on our phone emailing because we have to respond to that email right now, right now. And setting it as a goal or permission, like a task, like right now, my job is to play, right, with my child or with the child I'm providing care for or, you know, whomever it is, but the permission given to yourself to not be in that current response mode in whatever form of communication, right, phone, email, whatever that is, um, because that really creates this sense of like right now what I am doing is supposed to be playing. And, and in our adult brains, in our task-driven society, that is really necessary sometimes. We have to give ourselves permission. The task at hand is to play. The other uh, tip, strategy, whatever you would like to call it is to also give yourself permission to play what brings you joy. So there is huge benefit in following the child's lead like you just talked about. There's also benefit in modeling to your child, well, I really like to play this. Would you like to play this with me? And I say this, I've had a lot of conversations with um, moms, dads, even care providers who have shared with me that like the little figure stories, like playing house with the little people is really hard for them. And truthfully, it's a little bit hard for me too. Right. And I don't, it is not, it's not what brings me joy. I could sit for hours and watch my child create stories like, oh, the ant is doing this and the dog got sick and now the ant has to give the dog the special medicine. Or, and I get so much joy out of just watching. When I actually have to participate, when I get the, no, play with me, play with me, no, play, which the way that my two-year-old says it is talk this one, right? She wants me to talk that, that, that oh, character. Talk this one, yeah. <laughs> I love that. It is exhausting. It is mentally exhausting for me. Now, that doesn't mean I won't sometimes say to myself, this is your task at hand, do this. But it doesn't bring me pure joy. What does bring me pure joy is very messy sensory play. And so if I feel myself struggling, or if I just notice that I haven't had that opportunity, I will then create a play invitation that is going to be something I can get lost in as well. Yeah. I'm a huge shaving cream, huge fan of shaving cream. Um, and so, you know, whether it's bodies or cardboard or sidewalk or whatever it is. Now, the flip side of that is one of my best friends is very not a huge fan of shaving cream. And I can remember my, oh. in my excitement of being a young aunt and I wanted to play that with her daughter and I can just watch like the, you know, the life kind of go out of her face. Is she going to put it in her mouth? Is this going to get everywhere all over and I have to clean it up? And it just wasn't bringing her joy. And it took me a few years to figure out if I wanted to be an aunt that brought joy, not only to my niece, but also to my best friend, I had to kind of think about what her play was going to look like and what was going to bring her joy. So all that to say, it's a balance, right? Think of what is going on with your child. Think of what you really have fun at doing and give yourself permission to do that. You don't have to do a specific type of play. 
I love that. And I think it's really nice too. Like if that isn't bringing joy to your best friend or your, you know, sibling, because you're doing something, you can say, you know what, this is the way I'm going to play with them and I'll clean up whatever it is. Cause I know that is a huge piece. I had a friend who was like, Play-Doh doesn't belong in my house. And I'm like, but that's so important. <laughs> anyway. So, um, but then we just played with Play-Doh at my house. Right. And so, you know, and, and I like to make the Play-Doh with my, you know, um, nieces and nephew and my children um, because I, I, there's a whole part of that that I enjoy. Um, so I do a lot of baking with them as well, right? So there's a lot that happens around sensory and around like learning components. And it's actually, you know, when you're talking about baking, you can also, as they get older, talk about the science behind it, you know, the, you know, um, things that happen with the reactivity, the reason why you have baking soda or baking powder, and the reason why you have to have an egg or whatever the case might be, right? Or what you substitute if you don't have something like that. And so, you know, it's a whole learning. It's, a, it's actually, there's a lot of science behind baking and stuff that you can go into. But initially, it's just like the joy that comes from the finished product and getting to eat it together and making a mess in the, you know, in the kitchen with it, right? But that was definitely not something <laughs> my best friend wanted to choose. It's like, oh, I don't know, another whole like chore that I'm going to have to do. And so it's like finding the strengths too of people around you. So if you don't enjoy that, but you know that it's going to be important for your child to have that opportunity and it's just not something you have the energy to do in that time, let someone who does enjoy doing that have that opportunity to spend time with your child. Because the other thing is, is that having more solid, appropriate adults in a child's life makes for a better community and makes for a stronger child. In the, in the end, they're going to become adults who know the value of relationships, who have been modeled from a variety of people, appropriate and inappropriate things that, you know, or what's appropriate and inappropriate rather, you know, and so it's really, yeah, I think it's just, you know, finding support finding others who also enjoy having time with your children um, or child or come to your child care facility, um, you know, in the appropriate ways. We, we know that there's licensings and all of that sort of stuff, but like that can also provide with your children a new experience that maybe is not your forte. Maybe it isn't something you enjoy. Um, because if you can do things that you do enjoy, that enjoyment is something they will feel and the energy will flow and they will know you're enjoying it. And genuineness with children is really important because they know when you're not being genuine, they know when you don't enjoy an activity, but they still want to do the activity. So they're going to still have you do it. Right. But they just know it's not your favorite activity. Um, and that feeds into their beliefs as well. And so, you know, just making sure that you're balancing. I loved that word when you said it, just balancing. It's all a balancing act, really. Um, and giving yourself permission, permission not to look at your phone, not to answer that email. We all need time away. And it's something I've really had to learn and still struggle with as far as a balance, you know, making sure that I am balancing work and home and self-care and you know enjoyment I uh I, my dad used to say something and that I didn't realize how powerful it was until just recently actually but when I moved away to go to college every single time I left home he would say work hard and play harder and 
that message is really wonderful. And I try and instill that in to, you know, just everyone that is around me and that like, we all need to work hard, but we all need to play too in order to work hard. Right. And so I love that. I love what you said about, you know, just giving yourself permission and the balance pieces and, and that we, we can do it. We can find the way to have all the things done that need to get done and play too. <laughs> Agreed. I think it's, you know, again, we sometimes get into this rhythm of work, 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 and then we find ourselves burnt out in the end. And when you're not finding anything to be joyful or when you're finding yourself so tired um, at the end of the day that you don't want to do anything but just veg by going to sleep, um, you know you're starting to get to a place where it, you're burned out. And I think then you have to reinvigorate yourself because otherwise uh, you're going to become sick. You're going to, you know, um, not have any kind of, you know, peace in your existence, really, honestly. And so finding that balance is important. And, and again, I still struggle with sometimes, you know, working long hours and doing, you know, we all have to do what we have to do, but also, that email could wait till tomorrow. You, no one needs something so urgently in an email that can't wait till the next day. And if it is a deadline, then you probably knew that deadline and should you know make sure that you're working in a capacity that allows you not to have to work till midnight. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> right, a whole other conversation. Right, right, right. Uh, well, this has been wonderful. I really, I, I hope that we've instilled some why play is so powerful. We'd be happy to dig in further. We will definitely put some resources if you're interested a little bit more in the brain science around why play is so powerful for becoming who we are, processing emotions, learning, and those integral components that we talked about. Um, and then also hopefully we've inspired you to try some of these tips and strategies about being in the moment, extending the conversation, like Wendy talked about, and giving yourself permission and, and just truly finding joy with your children. Maybe we can, maybe after listening to this, we're going to have so many more people playing that the world will just be happier. <laughs> That's always our goal, right? Make the, make the world a happier place and a better place. Um, and I think we'll also probably provide some resources around what types of activities you could do if you're if you're not coming up with any um, and you really want and obviously our first five Pinterest um, has some great activities and we try and make sure that we're pushing some of those out on that platform as well so check that out but we'll definitely have some resources for you in regard to specific kinds of activities you could do as well as just the ideas that we've provided today that are a little bit more you know flow and, um, you know, I think the best way, you know, for me to play is to allow the child to kind of explore and give us ideas on what they enjoy, because then they're going to have a more fruitful play experience as well. But I've enjoyed this conversation so much. Obviously, we could, again, we've said it a billion times, but we could really go on and on and on and uh, geek out over every component of play. Uh, so hopefully, like you said, uh, Heidi, people will find some nugget of uh, information through this that they enjoyed and, and will be able to explore in their own way of play uh, more about. So anyway, I think that, yeah, thank you so much. Thank, Thank you, Wendy. So good to see you. Thank you for joining us today. Remember to check out the links in the podcast or go to www.firstfiveshasta.org or www.firstfivetahima.org for additional information, resources, or needs. You can also directly email us, wdickens at firstfiveshasta.org or 
H. Mendenhall at first5tohama.org. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast and will join us again. Remember, it only takes one person in a child's life to make the difference in building resiliency. Will you be that person?